0: This podcast is brought to you by the Annals of African Surgery. We're the official publication of the Surgical Society of Kenya and you can find out more about us by visiting our website www.annalsofafricansurgery.com You can also visit our social media sites at Annals of African Surgery across Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Thank you for tuning in and welcome to today's episode. Hi everybody, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Welcome to yet another exciting episode of the Annals of African Surgery podcast. We carry on with the Know Your Editor series, and today we're going to be hanging out with Dr. Stanley Aruyaru. Now, if you know this guy, you definitely know he's a multifaceted man. Not only is he a consultant, laparoscopic and general surgeon, he's also a blogger, a Toastmaster International member, a husband and not to mention an associate editor with the Annals of African Surgery. How he manages to get everything done, I honestly do not know, but join me in this episode as we find out how he gets everything done and what exactly he does in his many capacities. I will be your host. My name is Danielle. Dr. Stanley, good morning. How are you doing?
1: Good morning, Danielle. I have been so well. I hope you're well too.
0: I am fine. Thank you, sir. Now, to start us off, you've been with us for about eight years now, so it's only fair if we start this interview on what it is that you do at the office. So could you kindly give us a picture on what being an associate editor involves and what your day-to-day life at the office looks like?
1: Thank you, Danielle, for that question. Yes, we've been on this journey for eight years. I initially joined as an assistant editor and the position of associate editor I I have held just for, just over three years now. Associate editor is basically assistant to the editor in chief. And therefore I am the link between the assistant editors and the editor in chief. On a day-to-day basis, that entails allocation of manuscripts and follow-up of manuscripts and editorial input. So the manuscripts will come from the editor-in-chief to my desk and then I will assign them to the assistant editors who will then assign the manuscripts to the reviewers. When the reviewers key in their reviews, those reviews come back to the assistant editors and the assistant editors will then make their comments which land at my desk and i will give my editorial inputs before forwarding those comments now to the editor in chief that is on a day to day editorial workflow basis of course as the appointment letter always says and any other duties that the editor in chief might pick to assign you and true to that clause he more often than not has found time and space to allocate more duties but Essentially in terms of the editorial support, maybe it is sourcing for a, someone to do an editorial for us or contributing to an editorial here and there and assisting when there are technical aspects like organizing for workshops and trainings, joining the editor-in-chief for specific stakeholder meetings, et etc, et etc. So it's it's is it's, it's a whole. Draft of duties but in a nutshell the few that i violated highlighted are the core responsibilities of an associate editor thank you danielle
0: so what would you generally say has been your experience serving on the annals of african surgery editorial board
1: well serving on the aas editorial team has been characterized by growth growth at personal level growth at institutional level and growth even in the bigger publishing arena. When I joined in 2013, we were just three of us, myself, Mochaka, and Machiro as the assistant editors, and our editor-in-chief at the moment was then the associate editor, and the founding editor-in-chief, the lead professor Saidi, of course, was at the helm. At, at, at that moment, we did not have a manuscript submission system, so Manuscripts would be sent as email attachments to the editor in chief, who would then cascade them down to the associate editor. And more or less, the review process would be download, make comments, upload, send email back to the author, et cetera, et cetera. That moment, we used to be purely a physical, a print journal producing two issues. Mm -hmm. Fast forward to where we are, we have an editor-in-chief, we have three associates, we have so many assistants, we have editorial ad- admin assistants, we've got editorial interns, we've got media interns, and, and and all that. And the pool of publishing keeps expanding. Every so often we look at these statistics and we've publishers from North Africa, from Anglophone, West Africa, from South Africa, from, South Africa, from far. East from Asia, from 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 the Middle East, name it, and that has pushed us now to start publishing three issues per year, up from the twice a year frequency that we had, and finally, of course, courtesy of the partnership that we have with the Global North journals by way of the African Journals Partnership Program, now we are able to have. A seamless manuscript submission system on the Scholar One platform. And all these, in a nutshell, are growth. That is growth from the journal perspective. What has been the experience as a person? It can still be summed up as growth. I joined as a junior resident, I am now a consultant surgeon, and growing in terms of my clinical knowledge has paralleled my growing in terms of my editorial knowledge and capacity. And therefore, at this moment, I would say maybe we do not struggle with this high-end paper here, on this high-end paper there, because besides growing as an editor, I have grown as a clinician and as an academic, and therefore, I am able to take on a paper and really give it the data critique that it requires and be able to quickly accept or admit the areas that I need expertise in terms of maybe methodology, in terms of maybe ethics and all that. And, and, and that really has been one congruous growth from both personal side and from the general side. I hope that answers your question, Daniel.
0: Yes, it does. Thank you very much, Dr. Stanley. Now, let's take a leap into your personal life. I'm assuming you're a pretty much busy doctor. So, how is it that you're able to strike a balance between being a doctor, being an administrator, being an editor, and having time for yourself to do your personal blog, and your family? How are you able to make that balance?
1: oh that's a hard question danielle I am yet to get the point where I will say I have a perfect balance occasionally occasionally one side suffers but essentially what I have tried and that seems to be working is to block time in advance so that most of the time you will see my Mondays are dedicated to general work and to toastmasters toastmasters is an international public speaking and leadership organization that I'm deeply involved with in terms of, you know, my own personal growth and in terms of leadership. And now here is the general work that I must do. And as such, I try to just block Monday to journal work and to Toastmasters work. And I will start the morning by having a to-do list. And the first two items on my Monday is usually clear the AAS entry and a clear pending Toastmasters work. That leaves me the rest of the week, which is not a good strategy because then in case at Monday on Monday night, someone drops an urgent paper in my entry, it might have to wait until seven days down the line. But it's the only way I have found myself useful in terms of having handling all these things. In my work is quite busy, yes. Where I work, I am the only surgeon and then I hold. The administrative office of the medical director and then I hold the other non-existent office of the quality manager quality assurance so you, you you feel like you're having three jobs that are good where the clinical job itself is a little busy and could actually do better with maybe two people but it's, 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 it's that aspect of trying to prioritize and block time that helps me so That is, in a nutshell, for journal and Toastmasters, my day-to-day work, of course, I have to show up and do what needs to be done. In terms of uh, blogging, I I, I find that it it makes my work easier, it makes my work enjoyable, so that if I show up at 2 a.m. because there's this emergency and my night has been disrupted and my sleep pattern has been thwarted, what is the silver lining in this cloud the silver lining of course besides saving the patient's life if it's a life and death situation which is the case in most scenarios is to draw something that is pleasant for myself that can give me going and I I, I started doing a blog as a project when I joined Toastmasters and then slowly took a life of its own so much so that I have gone so many Stories that I am now publishing a book that will be out in another month or two. That's just a collection of such stories, such encounters with patients. So this kind of brings flair and 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 and, and, and oomph to the work that I do, which can become such a grind as you go on. And I I, I think it's it's just because I love writing and I love blogging that's i find myself doing that initially it was quite a trouble but now for me the the easiest thing is to take out my phone pick open up the notes folder and just within five or ten minutes quickly write something that comes to mind then leave it there sometimes it goes weeks and Mm -hmm. then suddenly you get another brainwave of ideas and you finish on it and you share it the the, the uh, there, there is family there are, there are other domains of life, and every so often I feel like I'm not still stretching myself to the limit in all of this. And every so often I have to pause and wonder: should I drop something or or should I continue like this? So if I have to you know, in a, in a nutshell answer that I will say there's no perfect answer and I've not gotten the perfect balance, but it is prioritization and sometimes just letting, saying no to some things. You remember last week we were to have this podcast, we couldn't have it on Monday because of some technicalities and then my entire week was packed and the only way I could make out was to push forward to the following Monday because that way then I don't get frustrated and I don't get burnt out. Yes, that is an attempt to answer your question, Danielle. Back to you.
0: <laughs> Thank you very much. I Now I perfectly understand your schedule. At least if I'll be bombarding you, it will be on Mondays. No worries. Um, and I really think what you're doing is good work. I have been to your website a couple of times and I've read a couple of stories and you're a really good writer. You also failed to mention that you write for our... National um, newspapers sometimes, which is really good. I think it's giving you good publicity. Now, speaking of social media, do you think surgeons are really bad people at communicating? Most of you are really bad at communicating, but Do you think social media is something surgeons should be encouraged to embrace in their personal lives as they grow professionally? Do you think social media can have um, an impact in a surgeon's professional journey and would you encourage them to embrace it?
1: Thank you, Danielle. What you brought up, the issue of communication is a challenge. That's partly why I joined Toastmasters James Holmes, a former presidential speech writer once wrote that the language, that the art of communication is the language of leadership. As a leader, what you do most of the time is communicate. As a surgeon, communication might be the make or break because after a seven hour procedure, if you are And writing is not legible enough so that people will know what you've instructed them to do. If your handover report is not clear enough so that people know what should happen and when should they escalate and call you, what danger signs or telltale signs should they pick and call you? Then you see the outcome of your hard work might actually be, you know, unpleasant. And having said that, it's not, only the, it's not only the surgeon who needs communication. Everyone needs communication. I once wrote an article and said that everyone communicates, even trees communicate. You know, geotropism is communication by the roots going in the direction of the water. Protropism is communication by the leaves growing towards the source of sun and all those other things. So every living creature has to communicate in, in order to be able to live. And communication is Vitally important for surgeons, for doctors, for for healthcare providers, for healthcare managers, name them. The the biggest challenge as a surgeon in communicating is trying to temper patients' expectations, especially before a major surgery, before a high-risk surgery, unless you are very clear on what are you going info, your expectations are going to be divergent and therefore the satisfaction of the client, of course, is going to be suboptimal. Coming to social media, you know, social media is here to stay in my thoughts and these are not expert opinion, these are just personal thoughts. And therefore, whether you embrace it or not, it's gonna be here. As a former senior colleague mentioned in a workshop some years back, it's like the rain. You don't have to be in the rain if you are not interested, but at least you can draw the curtain and open the windows and look and see that it is raining. That way you will know that that road is flooding and I don't, I'm i not going to use this road. So social media is the same. It, it, it looks a little, you know, millennial generation kind of, uh, of, of lifestyle, but it, I think it's part of agility. When you look at senior colleagues who trained, half a century back at the at the, at the independent hour of our country, those times they did not have all these prosthetics that you're having for orthopedics or these implants. Fractures were managed conservatively. If those people decided I'm not being agile, I'm not going to take on any new technology, they would have been redundant a long time ago. So when it comes to communication and uh, interpersonal skills and uh, and, and, and publicity or PR, then now social media becomes becomes part and parcel of what before was maybe pull out in the, in the, in the, in the telephone directories or, or newspapers or magazines or something like that. So social media for me is, is the opium of the masses at the moment and we can embrace it or, or we can embrace it. I don't think there are two ways about it. Now social media is varied. Social media is varied and different people have different ways of relating with the public. If you're secretive and you don't like to share a lot of information that is private to you like myself and others, you might find your engagement in social media a little constrained but the platforms are are different. If you're on LinkedIn, it's a purely professional social media and therefore this would be a fantastic networking opportunity. Being on LinkedIn is like being on an international conference. Maybe once a year, if you're on LinkedIn throughout that year and for sure any senior colleague, however unyouthful they feel or however senior citizens they feel they are could always gain some mileage by belonging to LinkedIn, for example. Facebook, I guess, cuts across age groups. Twitter, I guess, has got its different category. And now Instagram looks a little more youthful, a little more of pictorial and image communication. And that is where, even as a person, I find myself really, really having struggles to fit in. Having said all these, social media comes with its own challenges, which is not within the breadth and depth of what I'm speaking about. And what I've seen slowly creeping in is the possibility that the medical ethics could be breached where suddenly surgeons start advertising themselves on social media. So you have a fracture, you take a photo before, you take a photo after, and you post it on Instagram. And who is on Instagram is not a colleague. And therefore, these are lay people the more you post good images, the more you might appear as the cool doctor. Same goes for maybe our colleagues in plastic surgery, uh, among me, among many others. So I, I do not know, I don't want to be a prophet of doom, but this will be an interesting space to watch and see how that unfolds. But for sure, that is the one challenge. The second challenge is of course where Now patients start interacting with you on social media platforms and suddenly the professional lines start getting blurred. And I think that that these, these are hot topics that you find in various societies being discussed day in, day out. There's a webinar that was conducted, I think in 2019 or early 2020 by the American College of Surgeons, a certain committee, I think the social media committee that spoke about the surgeon and social media, they addressed so many issues and I would really invite my colleagues who are interested to watch that recording. It it had such insightful information. In a nutshell, I think for me, the tagline I, I, I go with is, I imagine what is the highest moral ground I will ever stand on this earth in my lifetime? And I imagine myself there, and then I ask myself if there's something I'm going to post today that would make me look foolish and immoral and unworthy of that pedestal at that point in time. So once that is clear, then th- then my consciousness is clear, and then I'm able to decide, you know what, I don't want those follows and likes and and, 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 and and shares or clicks on that social media. I am okay with it. Yes, Daniel.
0: What would you say is the reason as to why everyone and anyone should care about publishing?
1: Thank you, Danielle. There's a mantra in the academic halls, publish or perish. And I think that pushes everyone to publish because you want your money, you want your salary up, you want academic accolades, you want peer recognition, you want promotion. That is short-termism, so to say, but I, I think someone in a academic setup will not say that. But for me, publishing is communicating. Publishing is communicating to an audience that is perpetually going to increase and is not available at the moment. That is the new look I've looked, I've, 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 I've developed towards publishing, where now I have to do blogs, I have to do books, I have to do social media posts, I have to do advocacy, uh, mainstream media articles, and of course I have to draw a case report here and there. The, 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 the publishing in the mainstream academia is really to add to the body of knowledge. And unless you contribute, then your academic kind of growth will stagnate. But if you get into that space, then you find the more questions you try to answer, the more questions emerge. And therefore it becomes a beautiful, which uh, was, uh, you know, uh, vicious cycle of, of publish, get this question, try to answer it. When you come to the other side, you're writing newspapers and you're writing blogs and all that, you, you look at how can I publish this, Knowledge that I have that is scientific to the multitude of people who have got no inclination to science at all. And if you can find a magic to that, I think our communication of science will be fantastic. Now, for the interest of the journal and for the interest of this podcast, let's, you know, confine ourselves to scientific publishing and to the concept of publish or perish. I mean, whether in your academia, whether you're in the academia or you're in just clinical work outside of research, I think publishing is a good habit to have. I have just, you know, earned a reflection that for the whole of 2020, I don't have a single paper to my name, even a case report, not even an image. And that was such a low moment for me, knowing that I am such strong and heavy manuscripts that we'd have submitted, but Uh, my junior colleagues here and there maybe got some, you know, difficulties and I didn't have the time and the persistence to push them to submit them. So I feel like I lost here, but we can always blame the corona. But for me, publishing means that you get peer validation. That's in essence is what it is. And unless you do that, your, your your expertise suddenly becomes questionable if you find yourself alone, like where I have found myself frequently, alone in a non-metropolitan hospital setup, you work day in, day out, night and day, patients come in, you operate, they go, patients come to the clinic, you see them, they go, until one point you pause and wonder, am I even doing things that are in books or am I just, you know, saving patients lives and they go. And sometimes you have to consistently look up literature and consistently reaffirm to yourself that what you're doing is within the recommended treatment options from the body of evidence that is existing. Now, when you put yourself in that frame of mind and always look at every single patient you are treating as a case worthy publishing, as a case worthy sharing with a colleague, then suddenly you will find yourself refreshing. What is the latest guideline on this? What is the latest cutoff of this screening for this cancer? What is the latest evidence on this intervention in this group of patients? And every so often you find something new. And because of that constant inquisitive mind, when you find a patient that kind of strays out of what is established wisdom from the scientific community then there and then you have a case report at hand so publishing is something to be looked up to and, and 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 maintained and i think the same way we are always doing seminars and workshops and cme meetings to get our license is renewed because you have accumulated enough CPD points It's the same way we can look at maybe do a case report once a year, maybe do one publication once a year. There are so many things you can do, even when you're not in an academic setup. You can do a case report, you can do case series, you can analyze a data set, you can draw an opinion article, you can do a rebuttal letter to the editor when you're contesting a certain publication, and the opportunities are are limitless. And that is what we need to adopt, especially in low and middle income countries or the global South, because we produce produce the highest burden of disease in the world, but we only produce less than 2% of the scholarly output. That is such a discrepancy that can only be tackled at a low level by every person taking the responsibility upon their shoulders, and putting out one scientific piece of information at a certain time that they set for themselves. Thank you, Danielle. That is such a long and treacherous way of trying to talk about publishing, but those are my unscripted thoughts.
0: It's also very informative. I think that was a really good answer. And if it means anything, I think the work you're doing is for me to blow. Like you're doing a lot, a lot, and young people like me in the medical field, we have a lot to learn from you. And most of us really look up to you because you're like a prominent, figure out there in the medical world the work you're doing is putting you on the map and a lot of us have known you because of what you're doing so if it means anything keep doing it for us who look up to you
1: oh that's great to hear that's great to hear Uh, that's that's the second I've had after my colleague John Mogile on a certain forum once told us that that people you will influence are not even born. They, they will come after this generation, for example. So keep, keep doing what you do. Keep preparing <laughs> yourself. So thank you, Daniel, for that of <laughs> confidence, and I am flattered.
0: You're welcome. And now we've come to the end of the podcast. Um, thank you very much for making time to talk to me today.
1: Thank you, Daniel. It was a pleasure. To talk to you, and I look forward to another time for such and more discussions. Thank you. Goodbye.
0: Okay, everybody, that's it. It's a wrap. Thank you very much for hanging out with Dr. Stanley and I to the very end of this episode. It was such a pleasure to have Dr. Stanley on the show, and it was an honor to have you listen to us to the very end of this episode. I invite you to subscribe to our podcast and to share this with your friends and everyone in the medical community and to interact with us on our social media platforms at annals of african surgery across facebook twitter and instagram and see you in our next episode (laughs) bye god bless you keep safe and take care